0: I don't know what your week has been like, but I feel like this week I started to feel some of the pain of the coronavirus. Uh, I have heard about people losing their jobs and being laid off. I know people who have gotten the coronavirus. Uh, yesterday or two days ago, I was talking with a pastor friend of mine and it was his birthday. And so I sent him a text message and uh, I said, hey, uh, happy birthday. I know you won't be able to go out to a restaurant and celebrate or something like that, uh, but I hope you have a great day. And he wrote back and said, "Uh, thanks Phil, but please pray for my mom. She's in critical condition right now. She got the coronavirus. Uh, I've had conversations with uh, various people in our church. Chad, uh, as many of you might know, is a police officer in Elgin. And as we were chatting about what's going on right now, and I was asking him how I could be praying for him, um, one of the things he said is that in his job in Elgin right now, uh, he is dealing with a lot of domestic disturbances, unlike any other time in his job in Elgin on the police force. Uh, My conversations uh, have also been revolving around two different couples in our church that are trying to figure out what they're gonna do for their wedding plans. And then there's just the rest of us that are struggling with being stir crazy and stuck in our houses and missing being with people and on and on it goes. And what I'm trying to get at is I think that the longer this continues, the more we're going to feel the pain. And when we feel pain and when things are out of our control, oftentimes this leads us to doubt the promises of god and so what i want you to think about right now is this spectrum between on the one side the promises of god and then on the other side the pain that we experience and what's the path or the journey between those two spectrums of pain and promise what do you do in your pain well as humans we cry It is human for us to cry, it is human to grieve, but I wanna suggest that it is Christian and it is biblical to lament. No one needs to teach us how to cry when we experience some of the pains that are going on right now and the pains that more than likely will come in the weeks ahead. I think we need to learn not just to cry and grieve, but to lament and lamenting will help us take our pain to the promises of God one-third of the Psalms in the Bible are laments it's the largest category of all the Psalms so do you know how to grieve biblically do you know how to help others when they are grieving or in other words friends how are we as a church at lamenting let's begin with the big idea on your handout A simple definition of lament, a prayer of lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. In Mark Rogop's excellent book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. By the way, I think I'm going to keep suggesting great little gem of books for you all during this season, since some of you, I was talking to someone this week and they said, yeah, I've just had more time to read and I don't normally do that. And so I'm reading more. So here's a great book about lamenting, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. He writes... Lament is how we bring our sorrow to God. Without lament, we won't know how to process pain. Silence, bitterness, and even anger can dominate our spiritual lives instead. Without lament, we won't know how to help people walking through sorrow. Instead, we'll offer trite solutions, unhelpful comments, or impatient responses. Lament is how Christians grieve. We need to recover the ancient practice of lament and the grace that comes through it. Christianity suffers when lament is missing. I wonder if you in your Christian life are familiar with lament. I think that my experience has been that Christians are unfamiliar and uncomfortable with lament. When we start thinking about lament and the category of it, I think that When you start doing it, you'll notice people will get visibly discomforting or uh, uncomfortable about it. They might change the subject when grief comes up, quickly try and find the bright side, or there might be that weird, awkward silence. Have you ever heard these phrases after somebody is grieving or struggling through something really hard? Oh, well, I know the Lord will just make it all better. Maybe more people are going to come to faith because of this suffering you're going through. Well, the Lord knew that you could handle this. Some of these statements are probably true, but are they the best thing to be saying and helping somebody that's grieving? Or to put it another way, think about funeral services. It seems to me that oftentimes funeral services are light on lament. Many times we even call them celebration of life, and for many lives we should celebrate them. But I think we all need to realize that it is okay to grieve, it is okay to cry, and it is biblical to lament. It is a gift from the Lord. It is not the opposite of praise. It is the path to praise through brokenness and through disappointment. It's a transition between heartbreak and it brings us to hope. It's the gap between pain and promise Many of us, when we experience the pains and struggles of life, we will fall onto one ditch or another. The ditch of denial on the one side. Oh, it's no big deal. Or the ditch of despair on the other side. Oh, my whole life is ruined. Lament is the middle path. It is not faithless to complain and lament and say how you're really feeling to God. It is faithful. It is the faithful response in our pain. So, the goal of our Sunday morning home worship is for each of us to lament, to learn how to lament, and to receive the grace that comes when we do it. We're going to begin with Psalm 13, 1 through 6. I want to read Psalm 13 for us one more time and then make a few more comments before we go on to our next scripture reading. Psalm 13 is short. And I think it would be really helpful if you've not done any scripture memory work to maybe make this a psalm you memorize. So let's hear it one more time. And then I'd like to share a few more words of encouragement about lamentations, lamenting. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? And have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I want to share a story with you. This is a story of uh, a couple that has experienced much pain and sorrow and um, they share that in what I'm about to read. God... I know you're not mean, but it feels like you are today. There we were, sitting in our car outside of the doctor's office. That blunt prayer of my wife was all she could muster up. We were devastated. Again. This grief felt cruel. Previously, we were at an appointment to confirm a pregnancy after our daughter had died in the womb. Two years later, multiple miscarriages later, we were finally beyond the time frame of the prior failed pregnancies, filled with hope, but a guarded hope. Our doctor ordered an ultrasound to confirm the new life in Sarah's womb, and we couldn't wait to see the flutter of a little heartbeat. This appointment was going to be redemptive. I was hoping it was going to bring closure, but it only brought more pain. The ultrasound room was all too familiar. It was the same room where we learned of our previous daughter's death. As the daughter began to move the wand around over Sarah's womb, a shadow of concern crossed his face. Sarah watched carefully and noticed. She raised her head. She said, what is it? She looked. I thought she was overreacting because of what happened before, and so I tried to reassure her, but the look on the doctor's face was now clear to me as well. Something was wrong. I don't know how to tell you this, the doctor said, but there's no baby in your womb. Your hormone levels are good. There's a home. There's just no baby. It's called a blighted ovum. It's a false positive pregnancy. Immediately, Sarah's head fell back. She sobbed again. We walked, numb, over to the car. I closed the door, and I knew we needed to pray. But what do you say in a moment like this? And while we don't understand it, Sarah's prayer is what you'll find if you study laments, a prayer of complaint, An honest and blunt conversation with God and in order for us and in order for you to learn how to experience the mercy of lament, we need to learn how to complain. God, I know you're not mean, but it feels like it today. As we go on to our next scripture passage in Psalm 77, we're going to see another example of someone inspired by the spirit of God to complain. But they're turning to God in their prayer. And there's going to be four key elements that you're going to see in this psalm and in many other prayers of lament. And so I want to just briefly highlight those four key elements. And then I want each of you to read Psalm 77 in your homes and on your own. I want you to see if you can identify these transitions and turning points of these elements. The first element is to turn to God in prayer. The psalmists are coming to God in their pain because they know that God is good. Otherwise, they wouldn't come to Him at all. It's why so many of the prayers of lament begin with pain and end with promise. So resolve to keep praying to God, turn to him. Don't give God the silent treatment when you are in pain. Lament is always better than silence. First, notice in the psalm, the turning and the asking to God in prayer. Second, complain to God with the reason for your sorrows. I know when we use the word complain, there's some tension there. Complains not a very positive word. We don't like being around complainers, do we? It seems like the wrong response to a situation when it seems like we're told to always rejoice or be content or be thankful in all circumstances. But is complaining always wrong? Could it ever be that there is in the Bible times for us to share just really what's going on in our hearts and do so to God. These kind of biblical complaints lay out to God what's wrong in the situation. If we end our prayers here, then this would lack faith and trust. This is where most of our thoughts and meditations stop, the complaint. But our hearts will be helped when you actually express and see what it is you're feeling. Talk it out. Pray them out loud. List them out. The book I mentioned earlier, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. In it, he mentions the idea that one time as he was struggling through some grief, he, he made a list of all the things that were bothering him. And he he finished and it was like three or four things. And he looked down he said, really, that's it? And it wasn't so much that the exercise was well, those aren't real legitimate things to be sorrowful about or grieve or struggle with. It just helped him see. And I think it'll help us see and experience our grief in a biblical way if we turn to God and we say, God, we know that you're good, but here's why it doesn't feel that way today. Number three, make a request for God to act. A bold request. Don't just end with complaint. Turn that into a prayer of petition. Ask God to fix the situation. Believe and trust that he can. Have him hear what you're really longing for. Pray for the kingdom to come and his will to be done. And that the kingdom of God would be established here on earth as it is in heaven. This is actually one of the best ways for us to encourage each other is when we, in our confidence of God, can pray boldly for those that are struggling to pray at all. There's many times where when we're in circles of prayer or we're in prayer meetings, maybe this week on our Zoom call, we're doing another Monday night prayer meeting, we're doing a Wednesday night prayer meeting. Some of you maybe won't be able to muster up the ability to pray or say much. But to hear the prayers of others to hear the bold confidence that we have as we pray collectively as a church, it strengthens us in our confidence in God. So turn to God in prayer. Complain with the reason for your sorrow. Make a request for God to act. And lastly, express praise or trust in God. This is where the gospel comes in. This is where you remind yourself of the good news that we have because of the cross this is something that the psalmists don't have they don't have the perspective of the cross and how that changes everything and we need to express our praise we need to go from pain to praise and trust god that he is good even when we can't make sense of it it's very important for us to remember that if you were looking at the cross When Jesus himself prayed a prayer of lament and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 verse 1, a beautiful prayer of lament. Jesus prayed those words as he died, bearing all kinds of pain and suffering. But remember this, brothers and sisters, that was just the start of the prayer. Psalm 22 ends a different way. Psalm 22 ends with trust. Psalm 22 ends with believing in God's promises. And even Hebrews chapter 2 quotes this, that Jesus himself is referring to these things. It's in verse 22 of Psalm 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in all of him. All you offspring of Israel, For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard and he has cried to them. For you comes my praise. Within the great congregation, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. The psalm goes on, but I wanted to just read a little portion that Many scholars believe that when Jesus prayed those words on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was praying lament, a lament of the Psalm, but not just the first verse. He was leading his pain to the promises and praise of God. And that is how we should view the cross. That's how we should view those words. Every time you hear them from this point on, I want you to hear them as not only pain, but leading us to praise and promise. So I'd like us to now turn our attention to Psalm 77. At the end of Psalm 77 in verses 16 to 20, the psalmist says, When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side, the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron." I hope that it's obvious and clear to many of you that what the psalmist is doing here as he closes his prayer of lament is to remind himself of the gospel. At that moment in the Israelite history, the salvation event was the exodus through the waters. This is why he says, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Moses and Aaron were led by your hand, God. And it's a reminder of God's power to save. And I think this is how we should try and end our time and we should end our prayers and hopefully through our pain, we can lead to the promises of trust. I want to give you one final word of encouragement from William Cowper. You maybe have heard of a very famous, well-known Christian hymn called There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Well-known song. He also wrote several other hymns and poems. And the last one that he wrote before he died is called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And I think it's one of my favorite poems and hymns for thinking about the gospel in light of suffering and the sovereignty of God and trying to make sense of a world that we can't make sense of. So let me close with these words and then a benediction from Romans 15, verse 13. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footstep in the sea and he rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, his treasures he treasures up his bright designs and he works his sovereign will. This is the part I want you to hear. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds that you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Do not judge the Lord by your feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he is hiding a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter. He will make it plain. Friends, hear this word of benediction as we conclude this time. If you need to get going, Romans chapter 15